Is anybody want to? It's a bit of a tough question that day. If I'm brutally honest, that was a very tough question. <laughs> that didn't wasn't actually a question. Welcome to Cloud Realities, a conversation show exploring the practical and exciting alternative realities that can be unleashed through cloud-driven transformation. I'm Dave Chapman. And I'm Michelle Gazal. And I'm Rob Kernahan. And this week, we're going to be talking about how the world's current challenges and the accessibility and maturity of services are sharpening our use of data and artificial intelligence. And joining us this week to talk about such a fascinating subject is Robin Sutara, field CTO at Databricks. Hi, Robin. Great to see you. Just tell us a little bit about yourself and maybe introduce Databricks. Hi, Dave. Thank you so much for having me on the show. So uh, again, as you mentioned, Robin Sutara, I'm currently a field CTO with Databricks. I've been with the company for about four months uh, based out of London, uh, responsible for all of our customers that are leveraging Databricks technologies and the Lakehouse technology across Europe, Middle East, and Africa. Prior to joining Databricks, I spent the last 23 years with Microsoft, uh, most recently as the Chief Data Officer for Microsoft UK. So, so far then, in the world of data and analytics, from a Databricks perspective, what's been the general adoption and, and usage patterns? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, definitely as we saw the, the turn of the century, every organization was thinking about or starting to think about data and AI in a new perspective. Mm. Uh, I think we've all seen the surveys from CIOs and, and CTOs, et cetera, all talking about data being prevalent to the organizational strategy, right? Almost every financial statement I've seen from every customer talks about how they're going to change the way they're using data to drive their business forward or drive it differently. And the interesting part is, despite the fact I think we've all seen organizations talk about about using data, the approaches and maturity of organizations to be able to actually implement that has been varying, right? Um, some organizations right. are definitely more mature, uh, actually capable and have a great strategy and foundation in place to be able to sort of drive that sort of transformation, which we saw during the pandemic, those organizations that were quickly able to lever leverage their data and react and change the way they were engaging with their customers or delivering services or providing supply chain. It was interesting. I relocated to London from the US in the middle of the pandemic and at the time of Brexit. And so I arrive in the country and immediately no groceries on any shelf, no, yeah. uh, right, just a, a complete shutdown of the supply chain as a result of Brexit on top of the pandemic. And it was just really interesting to see those grocery stores, for example, that had a great handle on their supply chain, on the data, on their suppliers, were quickly able to sort of pivot and be able to provide those services, uh, while other smaller sort of organizations uh, actually, even some large ones that didn't have a good grasp of their data are now out of business, right? They just could not transition their business enough. And so I think it's really sort of an interesting time to go into a recession out of the pandemic where organizations almost had this prequel of how do we really change the way we do business and use our data in order to do that? And now how are we going to use it as we think about going into uh, economic downturn and what that really means and how do we get more efficient uh, and being able to leverage it, you know, in, in new and different ways to drive efficiencies and economies at scale. 
And so far, what are the sort of distinguishing characteristics in your mind of, of a, and let's take a legacy business rather than say a cloud native or an organization that started within the last 10 years who might have, you know, kind of the use of data and data science in their DNA, but more like a legacy business. What's the distinguishing characteristics of an organization that have successfully leveraged their data? What are the couple of things that they've done differently to other organizations where it's perhaps maybe not as been successful, even though they, they may have put some investment into it? So I would use Microsoft as a great example of a legacy company Mm. that figured out how to do that sort of uh, transformation and leverage data more effectively, having been internal and working on those types of projects. One of the big things was really just that change in culture and how do you change a legacy sort of culture of an organization to rethink how we did business. And so um, there were a few things really that we focused on. One was obviously having a new CEO come in with Satya Nadella to say, we will change the way we do business as Microsoft. We right, we'll, we'll sort of rethink what what is the culture that we have? What is our mission? How are we going to drive that forward? How are we going to shift from this legacy on-prem sort of a software company into the cloud and how are we going to make that that work Uh, and so a lot of it started with executives not just articulating what they wanted us to change but actually then demonstrating it uh, right so when you have cfos like amy hood completely transforming the finance organization to be data driven right which resulted in instead of hundreds of people operating on thousands of spreadsheets she now has a common data platform that all of finance uses and so Mm. sort of really demonstrating the power of data and how are we going to do that as opposed to just articulating that we will we will undergo this transformation i think you know those are the organizations those traditional organizations that have said not just that we will but then started to demonstrate that had leaders that were going to demonstrate that that built the culture from within the organization to get those champions in the organization that were truly willing to sort of transform and change and help drive that across the, the company. And from your experience then, that sounds like there was a very strong data vision set from the top of the shop to go down to embrace it. In your view, that feels to me like a critical success factor with embracing data, that a strong vision set, we understand the potential, the art of the possible is there. I mean, what's your view on that? And is that key to the organizations getting a grip around it, using it, and then the flywheel effect starts to kick in around the success of using data to understand what's going on? I think it's absolutely critical to have that top-down approach. I think the other interesting part, though, is I think we've all seen CEOs stand on stage and say, we will do this partnership, we will drive this transformation. So the other side of that coin, I think, is not just having the vision from the top, but also having uh, those within the organization that are willing to sort of drive it forward, right? And to actually implement and get the work done because uh, that tends to be the harder part. It's really, I find it very simple for an executive or a leader of a company to stand on stage and articulate a vision or what they're going to do or a partnership you're going to drive, et cetera. But then making sure that you have those champions within the organization that are actually going to grab hold of that vision and that mission and, and truly drive it toward, toward the fruition and, and all of the harder work that comes to uh, transforming people, right? I think that's the, always the hardest part of a data uh, strategy is actually getting people to change the way they've done their job for years and years. Now you have to have them rethink how they're approaching those those common tasks so that you can free up their capabilities. 
which is the interesting perspective around AI now, right? That's starting to come into the picture. And so it's just the next level of that transformation of people in in sort of the data maturity journey. The other element, it seems to me, in organizations that, you know, are successful versus ones that aren't, is things like data hygiene and data architecture and actually understanding the data that you've got. I mean, first of all, do you see that as a major success criteria going into leveraging data in the way that you're describing? But also, what distinguishes good from bad for you in in a situation like that? Yeah, I think uh, some of those around master data management and, and data quality and all of those things absolutely come into play. The interesting part, though, is I find many organizations approach it from a technology only perspective. And that's where I think we we run into failure, right? It becomes sort of like field of dreams. If you build it, they'll come. The problem is we've invested all this money into tech. We've built it. And now you haven't done anything around the people and process. And so nobody's actually using it uh, anyway. And so I think for us at Microsoft, when I, when I was driving some of those projects, what we really thought about was, how do you think about processes and, and you know, sort of transforming the people along on that journey? And so things like compensation models or reward mechanisms or tying those types of things into data quality. And so you have to make sure there's sort of this give and take on both sides of the pouring and not depend solely on technology to, to deliver the solution for you. Got it. So you, you talked there about going into the world of data with sort of a clear strategy and a, and a purpose and how that might impact your outcomes. How does then the context of the world play into that at the moment? So we are out of the end of the pandemic. We, are, As you mentioned earlier, we've landed now at the end of a pandemic and straight into a recession. How is that changing the approaches to data and analytics that you're seeing at the moment? Yeah, I think we've definitely seen a transformation toward this uh, sort of wild west free for all, right? I think organizations now are really starting to think about every dollar they're investing in innovation, every dollar that they're investing in technology. Not that they're minimizing investments, but I think they're really rethinking and prioritizing where are they putting those efforts and that funding and, and trying to think about not just allowing AI for AI's sake, but really starting to push the teams to think about technology and AI and data in a way that empowers the business in some way, either drives some sort of operational efficiency, helps drive cost savings, delivers faster services for customers. Some organizations that I've talked to are really thinking about even net new customer acquisition, right, during this time, mm-hmm. uh, because not every organization can deliver faster, cheaper, better services. And so they're really starting to rethink their business models, uh, the services that they provide, and how did they do that and leverage sort of the technology foundation that they built up during the pandemic. How do they now get really smarter about prioritizing the things that they're, that they're going after? There's this bit about, uh, you know, the ethos of IT is part of the business. It is the business for the future. It shouldn't be part of a cost center, but it should be part of the growth center, that which generates you those new business models. And, you know, some are latching onto that and understanding that you invest in IT to improve either your market share or you reduce costs through it. Where do you see the maturity in the marketplace of organizations? Is uh, Are many cottoning on to that fact that IT has is the business and is the growth? as opposed to it's a cost center and it's a P times Q type thing on a balance sheet. Where would you put the general maturity in the marketplace at that type of thinking? 
Oh, I think it depends on the industry, right? So uh, we're definitely seeing some industries as a result of the pandemic. For example, I think healthcare is a great example of an industry that quickly transformed, right? They would have been considered very legacy, very static, uh, not really sort of doing any of that innovation around the services that they're providing. And so coming out of the pandemic, they had to do that quickly transform, quickly evolve sort of their technology platform and being able to deliver. But even... uh, um, sort of the traditional retailers, I think, have done exponential sort of growth and capabilities and in, in sort of that that space as well and being able to, del- uh, you know, sort of create a data maturity at a much faster rate than they probably would have done had we not seen, you know, a, a pandemic, a, a global disruption and disrest with the Ukraine, a recession, et cetera. There's a lot of sort of factors across the ecosystem and the market that have required these industries to transform much faster. Yeah, and it's that, that point about necessity has created the impetus to to drive yeah. the new culture and changes, isn't it? You sort of think exactly. we've had so many global events that people have had to learn to adjust quickly and use technology to fix the problems they face or the ch- challenges they see. And so do, do you think that that has driven a series of much clearer business questions that can now get answered? E.g., it's not like a data platform in search of a problem anymore. The problems are coming thick and fast. And now actually we can leverage the technology to start to answer those problems. Uh, Absolutely. I was going to say it's really sort of driven us toward prioritization, right? I think in the past, what we've seen is create sort of technology, lots of capability for the organization to just test and play. And it didn't really matter if it came to fruition. There's a lot more focus today on the actual business value of the outcome and what you're trying to drive and is it connected better with the business on those specific things that they're trying to drive and it could be efficiencies it could be that customer acquisition better supply chain like it has to be very very specific and i see organizations driving towards specific metrics i can't tell you when i was uh, in a coo role how frustrating it was to have engineering teams come back and say well the influenced revenue right that that are this project or this technology is going to deliver, it's no longer about influenced revenue. It has to be direct sort of value that it's translating into into the business. And that's not necessarily only limited to new revenue streams, but how do you really think about dollar or, or pound savings that you can drive as a result through the technology? Have you got a couple of examples that you've seen recently that bring a lot of these threads together where you thought actually the purpose, the leadership in the organization, and then the clarity being driven by the kind of world context that businesses are existing in today? This is what good looks like. Yeah, I think one of the best examples that I've actually seen since coming to Databricks uh, is is Rolls-Royce, for example. I think lots of organizations, not only are you operating in this, uh, you know, this environment that we just talked about coming out of the pandemic, the war in Ukraine, uh, and sort of now heading into the recession, I think Rolls-Royce has done a fabulous job and not just how do you react to those things and drive the business more efficiently? But also, how do you think about other goals and objectives that the organization has that you can't let go, like sustainability, et cetera? And so they've done some interesting work around uh, with their jet engines and how do you leverage all of the data and insight that you're getting across that to make them more efficient, to last longer, to drive cost savings for their customers? How do you deliver uh, better service to treat failures and prevent failures from happening in the first place? And how do you make sure that you're doing that in a way that 
helps you meet the sustainability goals that you're still trying to achieve by 2025 and 2030. Uh, and so it's just been really interesting to see them from the top down have a good leadership and perspective to say, this will be our data strategy on how do we drive these things sort of forward to ensure uh, the sustainability of the company going forward and how we're, we're driving toward our goals and objectives that aren't just revenue, but also how do we meet the goals and objectives of creating a better environment and, and driving better services for our customers and making sure that they're getting the longevity that they need out of our product to, again, capture hearts and minds and make sure that you win those customers for a lifetime. And have you seen examples of organizations that have used data analytics, for example, in their supply chain? The supply chain seems to me to be uh, an area for a whole host of different reasons that is under some level of duress. You know, Absolutely. especially those organizations that have got global supply chains at the moment. It's not only the war in the Ukraine, but sustainability is a, is a huge issue when it comes to supply chain planning these days. What's good practice look like in terms of using data analytics to optimize your supply chain? Yeah, I think it's it's really interesting when you think about uh, not just sort of the how do you make sure you have the right product at the right place at the right time, but organizations are now starting to rethink, you know, how do we actually plan out our supply chain optimization to make sure, sure things like uh, fuel efficiency, uh, route calculations, uh, you know, how do we make sure that we're driving not just the base like we talked about the the where you can actually measure the delta between the cost pre-leveraging the data versus post. But they're now really starting to think about how do we drive efficiencies across the organization that we as the technology team are leading the efficiencies in the operations of the supply delivery chain that we can create measurable impact for the organization. How do we create new routes that are more efficient? Because when fuel is relatively cheap, right? There's less pressure on the system to be able to deliver those types of outcomes. And now there's, uh, you know, several organizations that we work with at Databricks that are really thinking about how do they drive as much of that efficiency as possible with such a a shrinking uh, margin that they're operating against. Okay. So what I think we're seeing then is a result of, I mean, I guess a a lot of learned knowledge in the 10, 15 years of large-scale data and analytics all coming together through the pandemic and the economic downturn, forcing a maturity in how it's being used. So what changes in organizations are you seeing, either in the IT organization or in the business itself, to actually get to a point where they are structured to leverage this stuff more effectively, but then also action this stuff more effectively? Yeah, I think gone are the days of, uh, uh, you know, centralized IT trying to, to connect with the business as sort of this remote partner. Mm. Uh, I think more and more organizations are actually integrating IT within the business uh, so that they almost... I don't know if they have this phrase in the UK, but go native, right? Like they, they almost become an extension part of the business unit that they're sitting with. Uh, and I think when you think, see things like data mesh and organizational strategies starting to evolve and really think about how are we leveraging our data more effectively that we're not just a you know, service provided across the business, but we're an integral part of the business. And that requires everything from data analysts to really understand what are the business problems that this 
business group specifically is trying to solve for. But it also comes down to data science when we talk about, you know, uh, not having sort of that freedom to test against everything. It's almost critical that your data resources are sitting within the business and they really understand what are the problems that that business group and that business unit are trying to solve for. And because it becomes their problem and their knowledge and their understanding of the ecosystem of the business, uh, it's really sort of driving efficiencies in ways that we haven't seen before. It's very analogous, isn't it, to organizations that are moving to product-based structures, where instead of, you know, kind of, there's a handoff between like, in inverted commas, the business owner to the, in inverted commas, the technology owner, and that handoff might be a, a fairly convoluted process or some sort of partnering mechanism, actually now bringing all of those things together into sort of single teams and squads, you know, centered around a product or maybe centered around an area or business units data. It's just a much more effective blending of skills in an organization. I actually sat with a a large retailer earlier this week who was really thinking about how do I, as a customer tower, think about starting to build out my data engineering capabilities, right? Right. He has data scientists, he has data analysts, and he's sort of driving that. But what he's realizing is that the handoff to IT to say, uh, you know, understand the data sets that are relevant for me are important to me that I need to be within the ecosystem is taking too long and that the business can't evolve as quickly as they want to. And so it's interesting now to really see organizations start to think about how do I create that data as a product or the data product sort of model that allows me to own the end-to-end capability to be able to deliver and not just rely on a central IT to be the service, rely on central IT to make sure that we have the right technologies, the right approaches, the right processes, et cetera. But really thinking about how do you get that expertise that resides within the business that then partners very close and becomes an extension of IT that resides within the business groups. And so I think it's uh, after 20 years in the industry or more than 20 years in the industry, it's interesting to watch that dynamic again of centralized versus decentralized. And where are we going to find for organizations, depending on their maturity, how much they continue to maintain centralization and how much integrates within the business? And how do we make sure that those teams are working together more efficiently? I think one of the important things in that is when the IT organization looks like the business organization and the products mean something for the outcomes to the business, then they get more excited about what that means for them, what that data can do. They start to take more ownership and they get excited almost about having this interaction. Whereas before the layer cake of the IT organization didn't make any sense to the business. They didn't understand it and it was easy to keep the arm's length and the rise of shadow IT. So I think... What I like about that is the the business start to care more about the data, own it, want to curate it, see the power of it, and understand what the IT team are there to do for them. And then you get that natural integration, whereas before it was almost like this organization, I don't understand, I want to keep it in the corner, and the value was never brought out of it. So I think there's been a big change in that new organization structure that's, that's created excitement, basically. Yeah, absolutely. And I think gone are the days of business groups feeling like they have to wait that three to six months for the IT to take their business requirements and turn it into actually right into into an actual solution uh, and end to end product. So I think that's been really interesting as well. Can you share some examples? How can a company shift from a central IT department to a more business oriented company, depending on data? 
Yeah, I think that uh, that comes down, I think, a little bit to the maturity of the organization and then how big they are. I mean, at at Microsoft, we clearly had the benefit of being able to have the the headcount allocation that we could put within the business groups to be able to drive that forward. For others, I have actually seen it direct line reporting into IT with dotted line responsibility into the business groups. And then they actually sit day to day with the business groups and become an extended part of that team. So I think a lot of it, again, comes to that. How do you have the top down support and messaging to be able to encourage, uh, you know, sort of that dotted line accountability across an organization to allow data people, regardless of whether they directly report into IT or not, to actually sit and integrate into the business. Otherwise, I think the disconnect becomes too big and they become part of the IT department. They don't understand my business. They don't understand what our everybody's sitting with day to day. And so uh, I, I think, again, depending on the size and scope of the organization, it's just making sure regardless of what direct line responsibilities are, how do you build those relationships between the IT data teams and the business groups in a way that allows them to operate more efficiently and effectively. Great. I think uh, maybe just to bring the conversation for today to a bit of a close, I, I just want to return to the humans that are at the center of all of this. And, you know, it's probably the case in the past as it is with a lot of emerging digital tech that there's a lot of sort of business trained individuals and there's a lot of tech trained individuals. It sounds like what you're seeing here is the emergence of like double deep data skills where, you know, a person might have business skills, but they also need data skills and perhaps vice versa. Like it's not good enough to just have one or the other anymore. Yeah, it was super interesting. So I, I, um, right here in the UK, we just saw the Sunak announcement about maths requirement until the uh, you know the 18. age of eighteen or nineteen. So it's been a, it's definitely I think a trend going forward on how do we think about ensuring that everybody, regardless of whether you decide to go into a STEM career or STEM field, or you decide to go into a, a business and arts uh, languages, sort of another capability, all of which bring value into IT and data. If you think think about it. Uh, I definitely have had people share with me some of the best data resources they hired were actually not from a STEM background, right? They came from the business. They came from some sort of arts or capability, humanity, some other capability, uh, which is what brings together these diverse data teams, which is what you need to innovate and drive the business forward. And so I think you're absolutely right. We're going to get away from being strictly business or being strictly technology, I think we're going to start to see more and more merging across how do you leverage the capabilities of both of those assets and do they have enough of the basic capabilities and competencies to help you build out diverse data teams, diverse IT teams uh, to really help an organization innovate uh, more quickly. And if you take that up to the sort of the leadership level in organizations, what sort of one or two tips would you leave business leaders with in terms of either retraining or leading data initiatives? Where would be a good place to start? Um, so the two recommendations I would have for, for leaders approaching this are really the first is make sure that your data project is grounded in business value, um, right? It's it's very simple to get off track or, or scope creep or all of those things that we face unless your data project is specifically driving forward something having to do with your customer, your operations, new product development, et cetera. And so make sure that you have that outcome that you're driving toward that you can continue to measure milestones and provide uh, progress against 
balanced. And then the second is make sure that you're thinking about these deep skills, the double skills that we just talked about, and ensure that your data teams are diverse. If you have a team delivering a product or, or value to the organization that all come from the same background, the same capabilities, the same competencies, you're not going to be able to innovate and, and think uh, around biases and ethics and all of those other things that you need to think about with your data projects. And so uh, those would be my two recommendations, ground and value outcome and make sure that you're, you're thinking about diversity across your delivery team. So Shalk, what's trending? So each week I will do some research on what's trending in tech. And this week's trend is about the current hype around the virtual chatbot, ChatGPT. Oh, we already love ChatGPT. <laughs> yeah, 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 you're a big fan. Yeah. yeah. So the past weeks, there were lots of social media feeds and tech articles, which were filled with stories and conversation written by AI. And all of them were written by the virtual chatbot, ChatGPT, which is a project from OpenAI, which uses the GPT free language model. And it actually became so popular that it reached 5 million users in only five days. Yeah, it's striking. It's yeah. absolutely amazing. It'd be interesting to plot the uptake of that against other services, right? Because that must be right up there. Yeah, that's going to be one of the fastest. It's a marvel of engineering. Yeah, it's, it's very easy to use. And people use it for all sorts of, of content creation, like uh, creating uh, marketing content, writing blogs, writing social media posts, poems and even source code. Well, Rob and I were literally working on a document earlier today and we were sort of rewriting it. And as a, as a test, we asked ChatGPT to write an 800 word document on the same subject. And I mean, I would say it was pretty damn good. I mean, it, you could probably tell it was a bit by rote in terms of what it came out with. So it didn't, it didn't have a texture or flavor to it that would make it really interesting, like a human had a point of view that they were trying to communicate. But still, it was pretty damn good, wasn't it? It, it was. And it gave you a structure and a start, and it can sometimes prompt you to think about things that you might not have considered. So it's really interesting to test it, because obviously it's working off learned knowledge. So it's a, it's a combination of things that's already seen. So it's not going to be the futures, but it actually is a good way to structure some stuff sometimes, just to see what it comes out with to test it. And a huge source of inspiration, right? Because I asked... ChatGPT to write free promotional tweets for our podcast. And one it came up with was from emerging trends to best practices, the Cloud Realities podcast has something for everyone in the world of cloud computing. Don't miss an episode. See, that's annoying because it's better than any other shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think what I saw was then the backlash against... AI generating the content and people starting to put services online that you put the text into and it'll give you a probability associated with did a AI engine write this or did a human write, mm -hmm. write it? So now people being tasked with the challenge to say, rather than flood everything with AI generated content, we're going to test this to see if a human was involved. And this, this change in perception about the counterbalance to it yeah. to say, you know, we're going to create something that can detect it so people are aware. Yeah, and I'm I'm very curious how that works because how can it detect that it was generated by AI? I'm not really sure. 
So it, it's something to do with the way the language model works and the next word and the prediction about whether a computer would have put that word there or a human and there's yeah. a whole statistical model behind it. And I think there's a few sites you can go to that explains it and it gets very, very complicated very, very quickly. But there is a sort of pattern and structure that apparently could be detected. But then I'm sure the people doing the, the engines will then go and look at that and change the way the, the model works so the AI becomes uh, harder to detect. Yeah. So, Robin, then from our perspective, when you think about ChatGPT and how it's changing access to these types of services and how people can play with it, I mean, how do you think that's affecting things? I think for us, uh, from a Databricks perspective, obviously being an AI company that's been around for 10 plus years, or 10 years, I think they just celebrated, we would say that AI has been around a long time. This capability has existed for a while. I think the exciting part about things like ChatGPT is it opens it up. It opens up the exposure of AI uh, to where everybody feels like it's accessible and easy to use. And, and so that's why it's super exciting times to think about when you think about the amount of data that's being created, the power and that it can drive for organizations, making AI now accessible to more and more people, it'll be really exciting to see where that takes this plethora of data that we're, we're creating across ecosystems in every capacity and capability. I think you're, you hit the nail on the head there, though. AI has been around for a while. This type of technology has existed. We've known it can do this. It's the accessibility and the maturity of the service being delivered to everyone. Suddenly, these services being accessible, people naturally will use it in inventive ways that the engineers who have been building these spheres won't have thought about. And your, your really interesting point there was around diversity of thinking and actually the mixed background drives a more innovative culture because people think differently because they come from different experiences and suddenly that creates exciting things. You see people asking Dali questions about drawing artwork that you just wouldn't have conceived coming from an engineering background, but somebody from a different background just finds it natural to ask it in that way. That's why it's so important to open it up to everyone, yeah. right? Yeah. So Rob, you also have a fascination with chat, GPT and cheese, right? Can you share a bit about that? <laughs> so I have this thing where I like cheese jokes. I don't know where it came from, but it's my party piece and everybody tolerates it over the years. So I was, I found myself with this marvel of engineering, suddenly asking it to tell me cheese jokes so I could build my repertoire uh, for the next party piece I have to perform. So there's all this potential at my fingertips and I ended up asking it, cheese jokes. And then it gave me 10 and I asked for 10 more and I asked for 10 more. And some of them are pretty good, actually. So I think I've put them in the bank ready for um, the next dinner party. What's your favorite yes. historical cheese joke? And what is your favorite AI derived brand new fresh cheese joke? Oh, now, now, now my favorite cheese joke has always been, what did the cheese magician say at the end of their act? Cheddar! Which I think is, uh, is, 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 is <laughs> I know. Um, but the new, my new favourite one, AI generated and hot off the press, was why was the cheese so happy? Because it was on a roll. Yeah, that is a good one. But it, it was followed up with, um, <laughs> why was the cheese so excited? Because it was going on a cheese tour. <laughs> Which I'm not even sure what that, that actually means. Hashtag AI fail. Uh, yeah, <laughs> disappointed at that one. So ChatGPT, I really find this really exciting technology, huge opportunities and lots of abilities to take the, away the boring and repetitive work for everyone who is creating content. 
So I think we should embrace this technology because it's definitely here to stay, right? But we still need to add some human touch to it, to add meaning and logical sense to it. Because the technology doesn't have a context and we need to add to add that to it. Brilliant. So it's free of charge currently. So I would highly encourage everyone to create an account and start using it. Uh, it's still in a research preview. So give as much feedback as possible so that the model can learn and can be trained any further. Brilliant. Thanks, Shout. That's good stuff. That is really good. And, and I agree. It is both interesting and terrifying at the same yeah, time. Yeah, it is. Because a lot of these things are, aren't they? Yeah. Garbage in, garbage out, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> Well, so we like to end each episode of the show by asking our guests what they are excited about doing next. So Robin, what are you up to? It could be something you're looking forward to doing over the weekend, all the way through to next big business opportunity. Yeah, so uh, I'm looking forward to getting back on on UK terra firma, I guess, and uh, not doing this sort of West Coast 5 a.m. meetings <laughs> so post-holiday, <laughs> trying to get back, I think, in a regular time zone. Uh, but super exciting times, I think, uh, you know, just going back to the chat GPT, it's really interesting to see how accessible it's now become for everyone. And so uh, it's super, I can't wait to see sort of the evolution that that takes uh, as people start to use it more. Brilliant. And thank you so much for your time today, especially given getting up early on the West Coast to record with us this afternoon in, in Europe. So thank you so much, Robin, and best of luck for 2023. Thank you. Likewise. A huge thanks to our guest this week, Robin. Thank you so much for being on our show. To our sound and editing wizard, Ben, and of course, to all of our listeners. We are on LinkedIn and Twitter, Dave Chapman. Rob Kernaham and Xiao Kizal, feel free to follow or connect with us and let us know if you have any ideas for the show. And of course, if you haven't already done that, rate and subscribe to our podcast. See you in another reality next week. <laughs>